not disrespectful of the entrepreneur, but he said, the one that matters is the market. And he said, you can take a, a really bad market and a great entrepreneur and infinite money and you will lose every time. So, so pick a good market and you'll get multiple rolls of the dice. Welcome everyone to a slightly different Startup West podcast this week as we recorded a show last week in front of a live audience down at Think Lab Coworking in Fremantle. My name is Beth Cornelia. And I'm Charlie Gunningham. And you're about to hear a panel discussion with Silicon Valley VC investor Bill Tye, the Noisy Guts co-founder Dr. Mary Webberley, and Startup News' very own co-founder, Marcus Holmes. Yeah, it was an awesome night Great and night. we asked all of them about what they thought of Perth as a startup centre. So from the perspective of Marcus, mm. who lives and works in Asia currently, Bill, who is obviously you'll hear from the United States, yep. and Mary, who is doing her own med tech startup here in Perth. It was a great night and part of West Tech Fest. So thanks to West Tech Fest and everyone there. And also thanks to you, 2018 sponsors who have been wonderful and allow us to do what we do. ECU The Link, TechOn, and BDO Accounting and Finance. Okay, so let's get on with the show and our live recording from the Startup News Party. So we have three people here. We have Bill Tye, we have Mary Webley, and we have Marcus Holmes. Can we give them a big round of applause to prove we've got a live audience? Fantastic. And to start with, uh, can you introduce yourself? So just 30 seconds on what you do, and how you connect to the local startup scene. Bill, can you start? Uh, yes, I'm a venture capitalist. I was originally trained as a semiconductor chip designer. Um, I've been doing venture now since uh, 1991, pre the internet. I've probably funded, uh, uh, I've lost count, but it's somewhere between 150 and 200 companies. To, to 20 have become publicly listed. Another maybe 30 got acquired. Um, wow. I came out here to Kiteboard WA seven or eight years ago, and then West Tech Fest came out of that. Crazy and Canva and Power Ledger and some other things. Mary, I'm Mary Webberley. I'm from Noisy Guts. We're creating um, a Fitbit for the gut, a belt that analyzes sounds to diagnose and monitor common gut disorders. So I guess I'm in the wearable medtech space. Marcus, hey everybody, I'm Marcus Holmes. If you don't know me, which I think most of you probably do, actually, I'm sure I've shared a beer with most of you. Um, I have been kicking around the WA Perth startup scene for years, since about 2011, um, and recently, uh, for the last 18 months, I've been travelling around uh, Southeast Asia, um, doing various stuff, including being CEO of a newspaper in Cambodia. So um, it's been a bit of an adventure, and I've just come back for these three weeks, and Charlie invited me up here to come and talk to everybody about all of that. So yeah. Now you've got the microphone, Marcus. Yeah. Tell us about being a CEO of a newspaper in Cambodia. Uh, alternating terrifying and awesome. Uh, <laughs> I was this close to being arrested and Did you leave jail. Perth to become the CEO of <laughs> Phnom Penh Post? No, no, I left Perth to go to Thailand to help a mate um, code up a startup in uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand, which was awesome. Um, and while I was there, I got a nod from you, in fact, <laughs> for the gig for the, for the Phnom Penh Post. And that all came through. And so October 2017, yeah, I went and walked into an office with a Khmer-speaking receptionist saying, hi, I'm your new CEO, and they had no clue I was turning up. <laughs> like, here, please take a seat, and we'll go find them. It's like, no, 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 I'm so what, the CEO. So what happened? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, it was 
the first month or so was finding out where everything worked and how it all worked, and then um, trying to convert. My mission was to try and convert the, the newspaper from being a physical thing to being a digital thing, which is why they recruited a software developer with no previous experience in a newspaper at all. Well, not quite. Them. Not quite true. You've been writing. You've been writing for startup news. I've been writing startup news and running startup. Writing for but business news. A one-man blog and a 200-person newspaper as the principal political opponent of a very dictatorial regime in a Southeast Asian country. Two different things. <laughs> <laughs> as Just I let, him, let him have it. Let him have it. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it was really it was trying to um, trying to convince the newsroom that we had to go digital and they had to stop marching to the beat of the print press and we had to convince our audience that they were about to pay for this and it got really difficult. Um, and then the whole paper got sold and the rest is history. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Marcus. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Mary, about StartCon. Uh, I believe you had a pretty interesting experience there, so could you share it with us? Thanks. Um, yes, so I was at StartCon um, just working out which day it is, uh, Friday and Saturday, a couple of days ago. Um, and they're primarily because we'd won the, the Perth Regional Final of the Pitch for a Million competition, which was, a, or is, a competition that was sponsored by Right Click Capital, venture capitalists. Um, and there was a real, a real million dollars up for grabs. Um, and we were fortunate enough to pitch on the second day in the morning and get through to the final six and go up and pitch again. Fortunately, we didn't get the, the million, but um, we were really pleased that we got that far. Um, pretty early on to investment for right click, not perhaps quite in their box either. So yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. So what are you doing now to look at investment other than StartCon? <laughs> Loaded question, I know. <laughs> um, Look, we're in a really exciting point at the moment. So we've just been working with product developers on our new prototype belt, which has got new improved sensors, um, a robust design, and looks absolutely fantastic. Um, we'll be taking delivery of six of those in the next couple of weeks, um, and we're starting to recruit new study participants. So next year we will have built, built on our clinical data with this new improved belt. We'll be spinning out, so I feel a little bit of an imposter here, so I'm kind of pre-startup, but we're spinning out of the University of Western Australia um, and looking for seed investment to take us through the next few stages to get to registration, um, market registration in Australia. So a little bit more about Noisy Guts. So it's a medtech wearable device for irritable bowel syndrome. I think I've heard you pitch a few times. That's right. What's that space like and, and how have you raised money? What, how are you fun? You've got a Nobel Prize winner in your team. I mean, you're incredibly modest. <laughs> you, you made the final six of StarCon on the weekend. That was pretty, a round of applause. Come on. Thank flying you, everybody. Find the flag for WA. Yeah, exactly. And I have to winner say... Of yeah, I did. Winner of the WA competition, right, to go to, to, go to StarCon. And what was one of the nice things about being at StarCon was that there was a bit of a Team WA there. There were a few friendly and supportive faces which um, made it easier. So, yeah. So Noisy Guts um, came out of an idea from Barry Marshall. So Barry Marshall's known quite quite well known in Western Australia for winning the Nobel Prize for discovering this bacterium that causes stomach ulcers and stomach cancer. And I guess we say, well, it's back to, to transform um, gut health again with the Noisy Guts project. So he was actually um, at an event about three years ago, um, the Innovator of the Year Awards, and he heard um, Adam Sarin talking about a tiny device that could pick up the, the munching sounds made by termites as they eat through your floorboards. 
And um, I guess he thought, hmm, acoustic sensing technology, picking up problems, could we apply this um, to the human gut? And that's where the Noisy Guts project came from. And I guess what sort of shaped him into thinking, okay, we need a new approach to gut health is um, his gastroenterologist, carries out a lot of colonoscopies and endoscopies, which you may not know are these uh, fairly invasive um, procedures where they put a tube um, down your gut or up your gut, take samples and then um, um, uh, look at the samples. But um, unfortunately, a lot of those colonoscopies are done to investigate something called irritable bowel syndrome. And irritable bowel syndrome actually doesn't cause any structural or biochemical changes in the gut. It changes the function of the gut. It changes the way it contracts and the nature of the contents. Um, but those do change the sounds. And so he thought, well, perhaps if we analyze those sounds and perhaps if we use new computing technology and, and machine learning, we can, we can characterize those different disorders using, using sound. And that's what we've, over the last two years, managed to do. We'll pass over to you now, Bill. So can you tell us, as someone who does a lot of this, and there are a lot of startups in the room that will love to know the answer to this question, what do you look for in a pitch? Um, okay, so uh, I'll tell like, a little story. So when I started in the, uh, in the tech business, I was at a startup called LSI Logic. And I had, uh, if you know US venture capital, we had an amazing set of investors. It was Kleiner Perkins. Sequoia and IVP. And Don Valentine, who founded Sequoia, and just for frame of reference, Don, Sequoia, of course, has gone on to fund great companies like Google, but Don himself was the investor in Apple, LSI Logic, Electronic Arts, Oracle, Network Appliance, Cisco, and I think, he, I think there's been a thousand billion dollars created by the companies he funded on less than two hands. Like, you know, he's, he's Average at his job. Incredible, yeah. So, so I got to know him a little bit when I was in that startup. And uh, when I transitioned into the venture business, I basically tagged along. And I had funded with him a company called Microchip Technologies. If you know, it's a little microcontroller company that I think now must be worth about $15 billion or so. But we got stuck in an airport uh, after a board meeting because our flight got canceled. And I was having dinner with him. And I, I said, Don... I said, what, you know, so you're, you're obviously quite good at this, you know, like, so what is it? What is it that makes, makes a good investment? And he basically said, oh, it's, it's very simple. He said, markets, management, capital, you get those three things right, you'll make money every time. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, market, you have to have a big market. It takes the same amount of energy to go after a big market than a small one. And if you're going to play, you want a big outcome. So just always work on big markets and they have to be well-timed. Pick a good team and don't overpay. And so, so that has stuck in my head since 1991. And so I basically, that's what I look for. I look for evidence of a sizable kind of a, a, change, a change in structure in a market that feels like the timing is good and something that could be big. And then I spent a lot of time trying to understand the entrepreneur and the team. And then as long as the capitalization is not, you know, not bad, sometimes good projects are expensive, so sometimes I will go into some things that are higher than like, you know, low prices, but, but it's basically those three things. Oh, and he did say one other thing. He said, and, and this is not disrespectful of the entrepreneur, but he said, the one that matters is the market. And he said, you can take 
a, a really bad market and a great entrepreneur and infinite money and you will lose every time. So, so pick a good market and you'll get multiple rolls of the dime. So that's kind of what I look for. If people are going to approach you this week, either on Rotness tomorrow or Blockchain on Wednesday or West Tech Fest on Thursday, and they're going to hand you out in the coffee break, what, in that 30 seconds, they're going to approach you, right? Yes. What should they say? They should talk big market. i got a big market, Bill. Uh, you know, so, so okay, so this is it. Yeah, the tuning on this. All right, so now I have to say that I've tempered the big picture that he, he kind of planted in my head. For whatever reason, I think because I've been doing this so long and I look at a lot of stuff, there's there's certain things in my, just kind of in my gut or my head that I, I'm tuned to. And I can't always explain what it is, but when somebody approaches me with something, it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And you know, for the, the, guy, the folks that you, uh, from here, of course, everybody probably here knows the story of Canva. So what, what made sense to me about that? Okay, so, and you know, it wasn't a logical picture, right? You had a dropout from UWA working in her mom's living room on high school yearbooks. How was that gonna be a billion dollar company? Irrespective of, you know, what she was thinking. And so, so what was happening at the time was there was a transition, we were early in the transition from packaged software to SaaS. Okay, and so all of you are probably old enough to remember buying CD-ROMs and boxes for whatever it was for $200 to $2,000. Kind of weird when you think about it now, right? And, uh, and most of the bigger companies had already transitioned. The one that hadn't was Adobe. And Adobe at the time, it's gone up a lot. So the market is still big and growing. Adobe, I remember, was worth around $30 billion. And this young person that had real experience and charisma, I mean, part of the team thing, it's like, you know, can they, can they attract talent? The, the notion of going after one of the last multi, you know, tens of billions of market cap companies selling $2,000 discs in boxes, where you had to take a two or three week class for two or $3,000 to learn how to use the thing in the box, it made sense. So I asked her, can, can you code this? Are you technical? And she said, no. <laughs> oh, you know, so, so then it took away, it, it literally And took, was that at OzApps? Is that, because it was that in 2012 was, at OzApps? Yes, the very first, that was the very first startup competition right. that we held. And she didn't, she applied, but didn't, didn't even place. Right. But uh, Larry Lopez pointed her out and said, you gotta meet, you know, Melanie. So I, I spent the time to meet her and, and, um, and so that stuck in my head, and uh, it just so happened that I had become friends with Lars Rasmussen, who had built Google Maps in Sydney. And he had uh, built Google Maps and Google Wave, and then it had just gotten poached by Facebook to build Search for Facebook. And uh, he had hired literally 300 engineers. And so I, you know, after a series of dialogues with Melanie, I called Lars, and I was like, Lars, can you find her a coder? And so, and he, he must have interviewed a hundred people over time and it took a year and a half before he found the right one. And it was, it was somebody that worked for him that he tried to get me to fund. There were two guys that worked for him that started a company that had a competitor to Gmail. And uh, it happened that a friend of mine was running Gmail at the time and I was asking about the economics and I was like, that's too hard. You know, so so uh, anyway, so we ended up, um, that engineer ended up teaming up with Melanie and that formed Canva. Fantastic, Canva, yeah, well done. Round of applause for Canva. Come on.
Thanks, so man. I'll throw back to you, Marcus, because you've been in the Perth startup scene, but you've also been out of it for quite a while. So I want to know, what do you make of the WA startup scene now? Where is it at? What does it need? What do you see? Go. Go. <laughs> Go. Just like that. Um, first of all, it's uh, amazing coming back to it, how vibrant it is. Uh, when I left 18 months ago, it really felt like we were hitting a, a sort of trough. Uh, nobody seemed incredibly enthusiastic about it. We'd had this huge influx of um, innovation consultants, for want of a better word, from West Perth, um, who, riding on the back of the Turnbull kind of idea boom thing. Um, and it was all, everyone was getting a bit dispirited. And I've come back, and no, it's, it's the old Vim and Vigor is still here. Everyone's really happy, everyone's really cheerful, and everyone's really getting on with it. Um, I'd like to shout out to Nate, actually, probably more than anybody else. Because everything that I've been to or seem to see is being run by Nate, so good job, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's this, this kind of, there seems to be more money around, there seems to be more hope around, there seems to be more actual investment and actual work being done around. Um, and it's, so um, that whole reverse takeover stuff is sort of finished, that was a phase exactly. for a while? Yeah. The West Perth tech um, delist, relisting stuff? Yeah, but you come to any of these meetups and you meet yeah. a whole bunch of crooks from West Perth who weren't interested in the idea and only interested in the money. So. Like, yeah, yeah. Getting me in trouble. But anyway, yeah, we can edit this, oh, right? Yeah. We'll I'm, edit I'm happy all to argue that with any crook from West Perth that happens to be in the right. Yeah, but it's all right. <laughs> you live in the Philippines. So, yeah. Mary, can The other say? thing, sorry, can sorry. I just yeah. buy in there? So, the other thing, so I ran a startup weekend in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Um, and it was all based around tourism ideas. And, you know, Angkor Wat is one of the tourist destinations in the entire world. I mean, it's, it's huge. And, and yet, this kind of Asian mindset of really small startups, like we had people pitching a five tuk-tuk business to run five tuk-tuks around the Angkor Wat ruins and stuff like that. And it was really, I, I was really struggling to, to get the Cambodians to think big, to think large, to think everybody else. And it really made me appreciate how big Australians think. Like even from Perth, like this tiny mining city on the edge of a desert, and everyone is looking at the global market. Everyone's trying to find this big market that Bill Tye was talking about. And I think that's really, that's a distinctive feature that we take for granted because we keep comparing ourselves to Americans, not Asians. So anyway. Mm. Same question, Mary. Your view on the startup scene here in Perth, WA. Um, look, I guess I've got my feet in a couple of camps there, I suppose. So um, medtech and then female entrepreneurs. And I, I think, um, I see both of those areas as being really vibrant and luckily they overlap a lot. So what we've found really helpful is that there are some people who've gone before, some people that we can follow on from and people that are very generous with their time. So we've had some fantastic mentors during um, the time that we've been going, which, which is just two years. So I can see Cheryl Frame in the room here. She, she helped us out right from the beginning. Um, we went through um, CSIRO's On Accelerate program. We went through On Prime with her. And then we had Lisa Dunn and Greg Reby that, that helped us through um, on Accelerate. And I think um, it's also quite exciting how much medtech's getting going in Western Australia at the moment. So we've got um, OncoRes, we've got Resonance Health to look at, and um, Rex Orfo. And I think that all the people involved in, in that are, are extremely generous with their time. So um, I've gone to a lot of sessions, for example, with the Spark Lab um, actuator. I think that's now called Perth Design. Um, but people kind of give up their Thursday evenings to go and talk, go and share their experiences. Um, and I think that's fantastic. You know, I think, um, I think we can all learn from that about um, you know, mentoring, um, 
pushing it forward, really. Kind so of, things uh, are getting better in the med tech I think space? So, yeah, I think it's getting really exciting, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some not... new ones coming through as well, through Perth Designs, and really sort of young, young folk doing some exciting things. I think that's because they're, they're doing something like, which is what we do, where we've brought together both clinicians, the doctors, and the engineers, and the, perhaps the, um, the data processing people, and, and had a really powerful effect by bringing together the, um, those knowledge groups. Yeah. Yeah. You may not know, I don't know if how many of you know, but uh, OncoRes, uh, Lacey was over at Pitch of the Palace. So Pitch of the Palace with the Duke of York, the finals were last Friday, and six WA finals went to the national finals. OncoRes were one of those, and they won the Australian finals. So they are one of two Australian finals now to go and pitch at St. James's Palace in the UK in December. So that's WA really kicking yeah. goals. Yeah. <laughs> Same question for you, Bill. What do you think? I'm sorry, the question again? Same question for you. What do you make of the WA startup scene? Oh, it's, it's blossoming. You know, I think, you know, I, I think I, when we, when I first came out here, I, I did a little talk at, uh, Larry Lopez was throwing this thing called Univation, which was, I think, university research groups presenting, looking for commercialization funding. And that was right at the time that all these sort of like one person startups uh, were happening, like, you know, like, uh, Mark Zuckerberg in his dorm room starting Facebook or Ev Williams coding up Twitter or whatever. And I remember seeing a bunch of young people and thinking, wow, and this is at Curtin University, I was like, wow, like somebody might go back to their dorm room and code something up. And you know, maybe, maybe if I could you know, throw a contest and, and offer free hosting to the winner, I'd find somebody. And so I, I talked to Rowan about it and convinced, you know, we, we basically kicked around the idea and that became the first Oz app, the WAP Awards, the Western Australia App Awards. It offered to four universities, then it became the Oz app, and then it became a national thing, and then it became a regional thing, and then it became West Tech Fest, and crazy. And it's, it's been amazing to see the growth, and I think it's actually part of a worldwide phenomenon. If I, if I look at Silicon Valley, this is gonna be a little bit of a Silicon Valley view. So Silicon Valley, the types of startups you had when I got into the business were, were monstrous companies. I'll give you an example. I, had, I funded a company called Transmeta once, that had Linus Torvalds in it. Imagine your startup, um, being a company where the venture capitalists that led, I led that first round, I had to go into it knowing that they wouldn't ship product for about five years, had to raise about $750 million, got the burn rate up to $7 million a month, held it there for four and a half years, and then launched the product. You know, so, so those are the kinds of challenges you had with silicon. It took big teams in one place that all knew kind of the same thing. And then that abstracted to kind of boxes, router switches, hubs, computer systems. And then the internet started to make it expand from the valley. And then when it moved to the user interface, to like apps and things like that, it started to become a, you know, much more world, worldwide. And I started funding companies all over the world. The blockchain that's built kind of, you know, that's the next wave. This is the, that's the first wave of technology that is absolutely not Silicon Valley centric. The vast majority of all the innovation is happening outside. You know, so I think there's this globalization now riding on the back of the internet that's happening and Perth is part of that. You know, I mean, I look at whether it's uh, Canva or Power Ledger or a bunch of other companies. I think I funded maybe seven or eight companies in Australia now. You know, and it's, uh, it's happening everywhere. But I mean, the, the centricity here is fantastic. I think the attitude here is great which is why I keep coming back, it's fun. Great, that's a great place to stop, I think, the formal bit. And now we're gonna to go to Q&A. So either we have some questions from the audience or we look at each other awkwardly for about five minutes. So your choice, <laughs> who has a question? 
Chris, can I just about get you the? I think I can just about get you the mic. Chris Nurse, go for it. Good day, guys. My name's Chris. Um, probably a question uh, also for Ty and Mary because I'm from an innovation background in health research uh, myself. But there's this kind of hurdle to get ahead, the therapeutic goods and all that kind of thing. Um, Mary, are you from a research background as well? Or? Yep. Yeah. So, so are you prepared for all these kind of commercial questions when you get the idea and you want to translate your research into something that will make a difference? And for Ty, um, yeah, are you prepared for that kind of journey as well? So I think I'm interpreting that question to mean, um, are we ready for those regulatory hurdles? Have we got everything planned out? Um, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I think that's one of the extra challenges, and that's why some of these, um, having these mentors that are in that space and the, the um, actuator series have really helped us, and also getting expert advice from Red Affairs experts. But I think, um, you know, I think every industry probably has its own challenges and, and perhaps their own regulatory hurdles. Um, and we're kind of, I guess we're, we're lucky in a way. So we've been aiming for, for a product that's very safe and we're replacing something that's less safe and more unpleasant, something invasive. So within um, Australia, at least, we would be a class one device with the TGA. So not too major a hurdle. Um, and yeah. Okay, thank you, So, Andrew, have you come? I really appreciate that you, Marcus, you've seen a lot of Asia, Bill, you've seen a lot of the world. I'm curious if there's one thing that stands out for you about Western Australian startups and this ecosystem, about essentially how we could be good for the world. Like, is there one thing we do really nicely or that we have deep competitive advantages, whether in our culture or whatever? Is there one thing that stands out where we could really make a contribution to a global ecosystem? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think, I think California and Western Australia have, I think, a, a little bit of commonality in thinking because I think of the environment. You know, I think most of the people, you know, if you, if you look at California relative to the other parts of the USA, like the East Coast is sort of very commercially centric. And the West Coast, it has a lot of business activity, but it's a little more lifestyle oriented and a little bit more kind of outdoors, nature. And I think in Australia, it's, it's more like, all of Australia is more like California, but I think there's that relative difference too. And I think, you know, my experience here is that the people here are far more aware of environmental concerns and ocean-related things, even though the whole country is kind of coastal, you know, it's, uh, I think there's, there I think is an opportunity for things like, you know, I guess call it blue tech, you know, and I think, Andrew, you know that, because we're, you know, I think maybe it's the circles we run in here, but I think the opportunity to marry innovation, technology with things that are good for this world, particularly the ocean, I think that's something that could be very powerful here. The thing I noticed when I was wandering around Southeast Asia and talking to like average Thai people and Cambodians, they all know where Perth is. And you'd think it's sort of strange because people in Sydney don't know where Perth is. <laughs> so, um, but no, they're all, and education is the big thing, that all over Southeast Asia. I mean, Southeast Asia is, what, a quarter, a third of the world's population, depending on where you draw the boundaries? Um, and all of the nowhere Perth is, and they all respect Australia and respect Australians, and more than we do, um, and respect Perth as an education hub. Like, they've all heard of it, they know where it is, they know what it's, what it's around. Um, there's this huge cultural gap, so there's a lot of cultural difference, but we could easily go from here out to Southeast Asia and say, hi, we're from Perth, and people would actually know what that was and give us immediate respect. Um, and I don't see anybody doing that yet, so I think there's a huge gap there. Great, thank you. A couple of quick questions. Yep. Uh, Bill, I've heard the Canvas story many times, but just tonight uh, you 
it sounded like Melanie impressed you with her charisma and an idea, but she had no technical team. So you actually constructed Canva. Lars did. I, I, oh, I, Lars was, did. I connected her. Yes. I, so, it was really Lars Rasmussen. I think it was because Lars had such a large pool of talent in Australia. And I knew I could connect those two, you know, I thought I could connect those two dots and something might shake out. So yes, I was a connector of that, but I didn't, I didn't myself source the person, but I facilitated it for sure. So my question is... Oh, we still have a question. <laughs> so we're generally told that we need to come to an investor with um, basically runs on the board. We need to show some sort of revenue. But, so, but, but, but she somehow uh, short-circuited that. So. How do we do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay, so th this gets into a much, I I'll keep it short, but this gets into a longer set of questions about at what stage are you willing to operate? And I think because individually I've, I've always been sort of, I've started four or five companies myself. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm used to that level of uncertainty. And I'm, and I think because I'm, I'm tuned to certain areas at certain times, like, you know, I started this company, Treasure Data, because I, I wanted for three years to start something in data science. And when I met this kid that knew Hadoop, in 15 minutes, I said, Kaz, I'm starting a company around you. I'm writing a check. And, uh, and he, didn't even under, he, didn't, he didn't speak English, so he didn't know that I committed. That's like, there's a funny story on the web, but, but I started this company, Treasure Data. You know? And so I think, uh, I think it depends on the, the, the type of investor. And I can't do a lot of projects because mine are kind of like a little bit more labor intensive, but, but um, there's a certain group of early stage seed investors that I think typically has uh, built companies and they're a little more hands-on and they, they, that's what they kind of get off on. I mean, for me, it's fun. I, I would kind of work on stuff because it's fun. Right. Okay, last question. Peter, nice and short. Nice and short. Uh, very question about uh, when you talk about market, it's about, uh, just to clarify, it's timing as well, yeah? And actually, maybe you can stipulate a little bit about this. I, I'll, I'll answer this with an analogy that Paul's heard before, but okay, we're in the wonderful coastal country of Australia. How many people in this room have tried to surf at least once? All right, good. Okay, we got a couple hundred for the podcast people that can't see it. There's a few hundred people in the room, and it was like 95%. Okay, so, so you will all understand this. Okay, so if you think about a wave kind of rolling across, and when you're laying on that board, looking behind you, paddling a little bit, okay, there's three places you can be. You can be behind the wave, in front of the wave, or on it. Okay, so if you think about those, if you're behind the wave, and it's already formed and other people riding it, there's no way possible ever to swim up the back of the wave and drop in. So if a market's like super well formed and there's a lot of companies already going, it's gonna be hard no matter how much money you raise. If you're too far in front, you can paddle yourself to death. And you're paddling, 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 and then you're tired. And then the wave comes and it goes right through you and there's a kid that paddled once. <laughs> riding, right? So, and you've probably felt that once if you've tried a few times. Sometimes you're laying on the board and you just lay down your paddle and you're up and you almost can't fall down. That was Twitter. Twitter should have fallen down seven times and they never did, right? Because they were exactly at the right time. And so I think you, you, you kind of just have to develop a sense for definitely don't be behind. Don't be afraid of crowded waves either. So like think about search. You could have made money in Netscape, Excite, Alta Vista, LookSmart, Ink to Me. Crowded waves are okay. Oftentimes the best outcomes happen in massive waves where there's a lot of riders. 
but you got to be, and Google seemed late, but they had a technical innovation that changed the efficiency. But, but don't be afraid of big waves that are long and rolling where there's multiple rolls at the die. Um, you can't be late. You can't be too early. Being too early is a lot like being wrong. You build up a big burn rate, nothing happens. Team's tired, needs fuel all the time, and then somebody like blows by on a nickel. You know, so, so don't be too far ahead. Look for signs that a market is, is real, and then and jump on it at hard at the right time. Fantastic, all right. Can you give a big startup thank you to Bill, Mary, and Martin. Well, that's it for 2018, and we'll be back with you in 2019 with even more awesome startup stories and podcasts. And until then... Happy holidays, and see, see you next, next year. year.